coming to you from the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains, Denver, Colorado. It's the Savage Cast, a Savage Worlds podcast brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Savages. Here are your hosts, Chris Savage Mummy Fox and Christopher Savage Bull Landauer. Welcome, Savage Cast listeners. Today we have an exclusive interview with Shane Hensley, the genius behind Savage Worlds himself. How's it going, Shane? It's going great, man. What a great intro. I love that. <laughs> right? <laughs> Nothing like buttering up your, uh, your audience. You know, we've got to give the proper, the proper introduction. So you have a major, major uh, announcement, big uh, new release coming up for Savage Worlds. Uh, Savage Worlds Black is now called Savage Worlds Adventure Edition. And uh, when does that Kickstarter kick off? October 16th. So less than two weeks away. That's fantastic. So we're going to pick your brain and hopefully get uh, into some uh, uh, nuts and bolts on what people can expect. Um, So why don't you kick it off there, Fox, with our, our first grill for Shane himself. You know, since uh, the Rocky Mountain Savages are now uh, an official licensee and, and Peg's made some new announcements about uh, the release of Savage Worlds material, give us a rundown a little bit on the new publishing environment for Savage Worlds. Sure. So, um, you know, we, we've had official licensees for quite a while. And we wanted to, A, have a new logo for them because I thought the old one with the orange on it was, was kind of fugly, to be quite honest. <laughs> and we wanted to better define exactly what people could copy and paste and just make it really easier to navigate uh, what people could reproduce and what people could do. So the, the logo for them is just is called Official Licensed Product, but uh, unofficially they're called the ACES. So you guys are part of our ACES program. And these are the people that, you know, we have a lot of faith in. We've seen their work. We think they make professional stuff. And, you know, we're, we're super happy to have people like that as partners. So that's the official licensees, what we call the ACEs. Then we have the fan license, which we've always had, which is, you know, anybody and their brother can make stuff that they want as long as they don't sell it or charge for it and uh, post it on their website or any place they want to, as long as it's free, right? And we don't look at or police that kind of stuff. That's like a guy wants to make his own monster or adventure or whatever. We think that's fantastic. And some of those people have done some really great work and gotten recognized by some of the aces and wind up getting published uh, in their stuff and then you know sometimes even by us. So that's pretty cool. But we also wanted those people to be able to monetize some of their hard work so we looked at the programs that Dungeons & Dragons does, uh, which is the Dungeon Masters Guild, and Vampire does it with Storytellers Guild, and I think Monty Cook does it, and Torg does it, so there's a couple of others. And they have a guild program that's run through the One Bookshelf, or OBS, platforms. So that would be Drive Through RPG, and RPG Now. They're owned by the same company, for those who didn't know that. So um, our program there is the uh, the Savage Worlds Adventurers Guild. Swag. Can make their, swag, correct. And people can make their own products there and actually sell them without our approval. Now, we do have certain restrictions and so forth, and you'll click through the license when you go to do that. But it's uh, it's much less rigorous than the official uh, program where we, we, we give some more perks and benefits, and there's a, a lower rate for those folks. The swag people pay a little bit more and don't get quite the perks of the official guys, but you know they do get paid for their work if, they, if it sells. 
and they can move up into the ACES program later on if they choose to. So inspired by these new programs, the the Savages, our first in-house setting we're, we're launching is called um, SWAT, Spells, Weapons, and Tactics, which is, you know, Lord of the Rings meets Cops. And we opened it up to our first little group of authors uh, uh, last night or two nights ago, and they posted so many funny ideas that I literally blew my drink out of my nose uh, and, and ruined my keyboard. So now there's going to be a new uh, a new enemy or creature in it called the Snot Goblin. Just from that, Dude. yeah, <laughs> right. Well, one of the one of the things I was as I was sitting at work the other day and I had the the document open, which you know probably shouldn't have worked. And I'm watching people add stuff to it. And uh, I think it was Mark Gacy or him or Neil Hyde. I'm watching him type, and he's just throwing out ideas. And he says. Uh, the mounted policemen have to be obnoxious centaurs. I'm like, oh my god, that is brilliant. <laughs> That's great, right? So you know, just little ideas like that are gonna are gonna be uh, yeah. coming. It feels like bright on steroids. Is that what it was called? Bright. Yeah, yeah. exactly. We're doing yeah. bright and dim. I think we're gonna do uh, bright. The bright half of the book will be. You know, uh, fantasy in a modern 1990s cops era with, you know, cars and guns. And then the dim version will be SWAT teams in the medieval setting. So we're hopefully going to do that cool. you know, bright and dim versions of that. And uh, but yeah, with a, co- a comedic twist instead of being way too Hollywood serious about it all. Um, right. You know, more police academy than, uh, you know, um, training day. <laughs> <Yeah>. right. <laughs> right. So I think a, a great example of somebody who the Savage Worlds Adventurers Guild would work with having had his stuff already come out would be uh, Richard Wilcock with Uh Saga of the Goblin Horde, you know, because he put his stuff out under the fan license. And, you know, this this new program would would fit what he had done perfectly. Don't don't you think? Exactly. Richard was uh, one of the people that we thought about a lot when we did this, because you know he's done a lot of work and we want to see the guy get paid. But he diverges fairly significantly sometimes from what we want <laughs> for our rule system. Right. And that's not a bad thing, but it, it's, you know, something we, we got to be careful about as official products because these people, right? I mean, deviations here, there are no big deal, but drastic deviations sometimes, you know, would be, be kind of messy. So over in the, the swag program, you know, we're much more lenient about what people can do and, you know, we're pretty much hands off. So Richard can do his thing, make a little money at it, or at least make back, you know, what he's paid for uh, art and so forth, which we think is great. Yeah, uh, that's excellent. And I mean, the, the reason the Rocky Mountain Savages are finally going official is, you know, kind of the goal to get more people published. And, uh, you know, Fox and I have had our adventure over the last two years getting published and seeing how that works. And, uh, you know, we know we've got a lot of native talent here in the Rocky Mountain region uh, who have yet to get their names officially stamped on some products. And it seems to me that this swag and, and, and the new kind of broadening of, uh, who can publish Savage Worlds products kind of goes right along with that same kind of ethic of, you know, really growing the community for Savage Worlds and, um, you know, who can put their name out there. And, uh, and just, you know, just the, 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 the nice thing about even, even the, uh, the swag program versus fan is that, you know, one bookshelf itself is an advertising platform. Um, in the same right. kind of manner that Kickstarter is also an advertising platform. And, and to appreciate that, you know, that, that gets more eyeballs on projects. Uh, even then just, you know, oh, I published it on my own website, you know, people will be clicking through there, buying other products. And, um, you know, that kind of, I think it's kind of opens the door to Savage Worlds reaching whole new audiences that, uh, or at least in volume yeah. as well. Yeah, me too. And I, I think, um, you know, credit where it's due, the Rocky Mountain Savages are actually a huge part of that. Because over the years at Genghis Khan, Tacticon, you know, I go to a lot of conventions and I've seen a lot of people do a lot of cool stuff, but nowhere 
is the activity as uh, high as it is at your guys' conventions. So, you know, when you go there and you see stuff like, you know, I've said this one a hundred times because I just think it's awesome. Mark Gacy's post-apocalyptic Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Right. <laughs> when, you, when you see the creativity that the community has, you know, we want to encourage that. And, it, you know, for us, you know, the, the good thing is it builds the fan base and more people look at, you know, everything we make. But, you know, just as a fan and a gamer, I get to play and look at all this awesome stuff like your Buccaneers game that you guys made. You know, that's, that's awesome stuff. And I get to play with, with that like a fan, you know, whereas the stuff we make, you know, I, I'm pretty immersed in it. And sometimes it's nice to take a break and wander into somebody else's sandbox. That is true. I mean, I, obviously neither of us have the like the experience you do, but it, it's amazing when you are so in bed with a project over so many years before anyone else gets to see it. Um, yeah. you know, it's almost hard to avoid burnout on your own stuff because it's, you know, you're, you're having dreams about it and you're worried about, you know, all these things you don't have to worry about when you can just pick up a book and play. Um, right. you know, and, uh, so it, it is, that's kind of the, the, the nice thing about the community here is just, you know, uh, you, you worry about running your own games, but then there's also nine other slots of games you can just sit in and play. And that kind of thing keeps the, uh-huh. the creative juices going. So what makes now the right time to launch a new edition of Savage Worlds? You know, there's a couple of big things that have happened over the last few years. Um, you know, we watched a lot of people get into the shaken spiral, right, where they couldn't break out of it and they just sat there having no fun. So we changed the shaken rules and we were messing around with what would eventually become the test and support rules, which would kind of, they're actually kind of a medium balance between the old shaken and the new shaken. So let me explain the specifics and then I'll come back to the more general question. So the old shaken was um, if you rolled a four on your spirit roll, once you were shaken, you would get unshaken, but you couldn't act, right? If you got a raise, then you could act. So then we changed it to if you got a four, you can act and just, you know, let people get get moving and playing again. And we stick by that. We think that's the right way to go. We know some people disagree. But what, what they didn't know was we were also playing around with the test of wills and tricks rules, which are now tests, so that... Once a baddie gets shaken, for example, you can distract him, which makes it harder for him to get unshaken, right? So now it's going to be a six, which is really about, you know, if you put some effort into it, that's about the right number you want. Once they start getting fatigued or uh, wounded or anything like that, that shaken spiral is still going to be there. You're going to be able to nail, you know, the big dragon or the ogre or the other big bad and keep him kind of locked down but it's going to take a little more effort than it did before because it was too easy before. And conversely, players who, especially with GMs who are kind of stingy for bennies, couldn't break out of that shaken cycle, right? And now it's a little bit easier for them so they can play more. So that's a pretty big change. And because the shaken stuff changed and the test of wills and trick stuff changed, the chase rules, um, you know, I, I tried the first – first time we tried them they were too complicated the set that i think is in that this what we have in swex right now the explorers edition is too simple so i think in this new edition we found a much better balance so there's lots of stuff going on like that and collectively it's just you know we find people don't pay attention to the web updates we do you know they've never had they've never heard of the shaken change that's you know over a year and a half old i think now at yeah, this point, people still call it the new rule, you know? Oh, yeah, it's older right. than that. I still, when yeah. people go, yeah, I, I don't know about the new shaken rule, I'm like, oh, it's not new, people. <laughs> right. They haven't heard of quick combat, which is a huge deal. And now it's quick encounters. You can do even more with it. And I've got a great example if you want to hear about that one in a bit. So point being, there's just so many little things and big things that have changed. And 
you know, we sold out of the Explorers edition about I think about seven times now and had to reprint them. Jeez. So we're about to sell out again, and we want to get it to the graphic novel size that we do everything in these days. So we need a new printing. I wanted to upgrade the art and do a better layout and you know all that stuff. So collectively, it was more than past time to do that. Plus, Don Arnold will kill me if I don't mention it really needed a better index. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. The uh, well, it, It's interesting you mentioned the, the, the shaken issue. Because it's kind of uh, seeing some people in the community, kind of the vocal minority, they're almost very, I don't know what you call them, like Old Testament people. Like, it was written, it should be done, we cannot have a New Testament. But I think the it's kind of interesting how distracted, vulnerable, and stunned um, in my opinion, give more—they're um, more descriptive. They're more interesting. They're more detailed than yeah. just what stun lock, what some people used to call it, was. You know that they actually describe you know ways in which you can you know hinder opponents or be hindered, and and how you can get out of them. And they're kind of—they're just more interesting and more pulpy, um, more tangible than just oh, you're still stunned, you can't do anything. Right. Yeah, and I think especially test and support. You know, tricks and tests of wills are something that I wanted so bad for so long because I, I love how uh, non-combat stuff works in Torque, right? Which is you know another game that I, I had a, a big hand in the relaunch of, not the original. And ours just weren't good enough. But now, since I've been playing with tests and trick or with tests and support for I'd say about almost two years now, the creativity you see out of people and loosening that up. It's just fantastic. And what's great is it's kind of naturally balanced because they're giving up a turn to do that, right? Especially if it's in combat. But even if it's not in combat, you see great stuff like trying a chase. A guy will, will come up with, um, well, I'm going to use my common knowledge to help him on his driving role because I see a turn up ahead or, you know, little things like that. All the way up to I'm going to use my healing to help navigate because I went through here looking for herbs this morning, you know, for to treat the party's wounds or, or whatever. And it's just really clever to see how people come up with stuff and use, you know, as a GM, if it doesn't make sense, you can always say no. But generally, let it go. Let them roll. It's fun, right? And it's, a, it's a plus one or two tops. So yeah, I had it work out really well in, in a play test I did where one player did a, did a test distracted him the next player did a test made him vulnerable the next player took him out and i just i loved the way it flowed and i loved the way that it made them think about that and and just use those those pluses and minuses to help teamwork and i, I that's uh-huh. what i really liked about it is the teamwork aspect of it exactly that's exactly what it's about because before you you were really better off just making another attack because the game's pretty swingy right so you just attack, 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 and hope you finally get some aces and take the thing out. But now if a couple of your buddies team up and you make it shake and distracted and vulnerable, well, that's a pretty big help to the, you know, the third guy in the row there, the, the cleanup batter, so to speak. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and I think it really helps people you know, of all different kind of character types always be engaged and interested in what's going on. Right. Um, I think Savage Worlds does this better than a lot of other systems just with the way that the card initiative works. Um, mm-hmm. You know, playing other games where it's fixed initiative always, you kind of fall into strategies based upon fixed initiative, and by mixing it up, you know, you, you can't do that. And also, people watch when the cards come out, and then they pay attention to see when they have to go. And I think they just, you know, as a, as a meta game kind of kind of aspect, keeping people involved and allowing them to interact on other people's turns as well, um, just kind of makes more for more fun, engaging games. Exactly. So you know, I don't like to knock on other systems, and I love the new D and think it's great. But we're playing uh, the Tomb of Annihilation right now. My son's running it, my, uh, my youngest son. And we're having a great time. 
But there are times when, you know, there's there's really I, I like to play wits characters who aren't just, uh, you know, great with swords or spells or so forth. And I'm playing a wizard and I kind of refuse to take any of the, the big typical spells like fireball and stuff. I want to take the little weird spells like alter self and, you know, fool people and trick people and just play by my wits. And it's pretty hard in D&D because the game is just so designed around how much damage can you do around, right? Because it's an ablative, timed system almost. And again, that's not a knock on it. It does what it does very, very well. And there's there's still plenty of great creative stuff in there. But I do kind of miss, you know, since I've been playing so much Savage Worlds and D&D side by side, I do miss, uh, you know, the test and support and all the creativity that that allows. Yeah, and, and kind of unlike D&D, which has always kind of used this, this gnarly, as of recent editions, the numbered editions for their their new editions, and they've kind of been radical changes between them. Um, Savage Worlds hasn't gone that route. You've gone, instead, from Explorers to Deluxe to now the Adventure Edition. So how does that design philosophy work for Savage Worlds? You know, I've been asked this question before, and I'm afraid I don't have a fantastic answer um, I guess I would say, first off, I'm not sure, I'm not an expert on this, but I'm not sure that the newer editions of D&D actually called themselves 4.0 and 5.0. I know we oh, it was, it was next and... Uh, yeah. yeah. I don't remember seeing 5th edition on the new stuff. Maybe it is. I think um, you're right, because we, I think I remember Rich Rick Hershey um, actually had to release a 5th edition compatible logo for people to use because so many people were talking about, you know, 5th edition stuff. Um, That's right, he did. And he had to release the logo so people would know what they were talking about because, yeah, I don't believe they actually officially use it. But, um, yeah, yeah. Savage Worlds has definitely shied away from that, though. Is that, um, you know, revolutionary thinking, evolutionary thinking? (laughs) Well, I will never call myself revolutionary. I think (laughs) evolutionary is probably closer. But, um, you know, for, for Deluxe, the idea was just, okay, let's take all the changes that we've been, uh, that we've made through the last couple of years and put them in a nicer, better rule book because we'd sold out of the previous printing of that. So that's where Deluxe came from. And then we hit on the idea of the 6 by 9 $10 book, and we had to call that something, so we called it the Explorer Edition. And then we called the same 6 by 9 reprints of our other books, like Necessary Evil and so, fl- so forth, Explorer's Editions of those because they were small and compact. So this one started out as Savage Worlds Black, and the idea there was uh, I didn't have the covers in mind at the time, so it was going to be a black cover with just the logo, and it was just going to be the kind of the Omega edition. You know, in my mind, you know, this is the last edition we'll we'll ever need. Now I know that's you know a pipe dream, but that's how it is in my mind, right? Everything I know how to do, and all all the feedback that I've gotten from you guys and everybody else is in there, right, and, and, and tested and played as much as humanly possible with the playtest group we have. So the name Savage Worlds Black, A, didn't stick because we do have a great cover, and B, because some people are sensitive to the word, and we, didn't, we just don't want controversy, right? So we were told by one of our translators, for example, in a different country, that they absolutely couldn't call it black because it would be taken as a derogatory, so... Adventure Edition is kind of bland, but as we thought more and more about it, especially with the SWAG program, with the ACES program, and with embracing really the creativity of the community and all the stuff they're going to do with it, Adventure Edition just really sounded appropriate. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I like it. 
Oh, you know, I was, I was going to just exactly say the same thing. I mean, if you think about it, the I mean, the editions kind of match my experience with it. The Explorers edition was the first thing I saw with Savage Worlds. I wasn't around for the initial, the one thousand book. You know, the the absolute original. Mm-hmm. So it was actually one of those things where, uh, being a long term GURPS player and, and getting introduced to Savage Worlds from my GURPS group, yeah, it was an exploration of a new system. And then, of course, you know, get the deluxe book and you get a couple more rules. And now, um, you know, for people who are familiar with the system and already you know know how to ride the bike. Um, yeah, it's time for more adventures. I mean, I, I, I like how that, that, that progresses. The, yeah. um, uh, this is a, you almost already answered this question, but there's a couple new kind of just small changes, but they might be um, subtle in, in, in change, but you know, profound in, in how they kind of pull out. Like incapacitation has been slightly updated. Um, things like multi-actions, now you can do three. Um, there's no skill by, skill by penalty anymore in the edition, and critical failures is actually a new interesting kind of way of handling that. Um, how did you decide that are these just more elegant uh, rule changes, or how did you come about the kind of subtle changes you made to these? Yeah, I, th- I think everyone is just um, experience and play and traveling literally all over the world and seeing what causes friction points for people. So the multi-action thing, for those who don't know, because I don't think we've actually announced this yet. Ooh, um, breaking it live. The, the pre- yeah, breaking news. Uh, the previous editions have been built on the foundation of you can't repeat an action, right? So we had kludges for, okay, what if I want to you know, slash a guy or pull the trigger multiple times or whatever? We had uh, maneuvers for that or whatever. So we, we've done away with that concept. If you want to take three separate shots, and you can take up to three multi-actions, that's our, that's our limit, then, then you can do so. And the multi-action penalty is the same, you know, it's, minus two for each extra action to all the actions. So that hasn't changed. But it was, you know, I think probably spells were the thing that were most annoying. You know, as a spellcaster, you get into combat and you're like, okay, well, first I need to get my armor up. Then I need to get my shield up. Now, okay, I'm going to get smite on my staff. Now I can maybe cast some bolts, right? And that's, that's annoying. So, yeah, we could kludge that and just find a way to let wizards cast. And we could give them an edge that says you can, cast different spells or whatever. But ultimately, I've always really wanted you to be able to do whatever you want. My answer to most things is always you can do whatever you want. Here's the penalty or the risk for doing so. So that's 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 how that came about. Critical failures, um, we've had a vague concept of that from the beginning. But the you know, especially with spell casting again, the whole if you roll a one on the spell casting die it just happens way too much. So critical failures feels like about the right right amount of uh, uh, the right percentage for that to happen. And especially at lower skill levels, critical failures are more likely to happen. So it's a little more interesting. And we, we love that whole fail forward concept anyway. You know, it's okay to fail and the, the group should run with that and have fun with it. So we had to codify that and make it a little more or well, much more specific and figure out what it meant for NPCs who don't roll two dice and for what was the other thing? Well, we'll just stick with NPCs. Well, when you've got like multi-actions, when you're doing, you know, three different things in a round. Oh, like, machine guns. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. A high rate of fire or like frenzy with multiple dice. We had to figure out, you know, what, what does that mean? If I roll two ones on a rate of fire five, well, that sucks because it means a higher rate of fire is worse. So now it's just more ones than anything else. Yeah, and as a forensic accountant, I personally really like the no skill buy penalty. I mean, it's a small thing, just that you know, when when you take skills at character creation in the current edition, um, they're more expensive to take if you take them, you know, a new skill. 
um, further on. But uh, and it looks like the current edition of the rules, if you take a new skill later, you're not you're not taking the it doesn't cost you twice as much as it would otherwise. Correct. So you kind of. Yep. Uh, I don't know. I think I think maybe, and there were people like me who might be a little rules lawyerish who would no, un- unnecessarily really. take skills at D four at the beginning just so you wouldn't get the the the, uh, the penalty later. But now I think it makes much more sense. Like build the character that you want to play at the level you want to play it, yep. um, and go. And you know, you, you know if he learns a skill later, it makes sense that he learns it later, and you're not suddenly a. Uh, uh, a marginally less right. point balanced character, but I, mean, I don't think it'll ever mean much in change in, as far as is in balance goes. It wasn't really in balance before, but I think it just makes kind of more sense for the, the you know the rules lawyers among us. And, and, and there's a few well, things. It's also just simpler. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You, you don't need to refer to the chart anymore when you get in advance. And, yeah. It's, it's right. to do, yeah. Buy it like you bought it when you start. But yeah. When mm-hmm. you, you were telling us that you had a really good story. So this is kind of the next part. Is the, those were kind of like I'd say incremental changes. And these are a little bit more bigger. We talked about distracted, vulnerable, and stunned already. Um, but there's a lot of new new stuff like chases, new options for Bennies, quick encounters, social conflict. So you said you had a really good story for an example of a quick encounter. And since that's pretty new, and I also want to know a little bit more about the the new uses for Bennies because I love them and the few people who've seen it that i've play tested for have loved it yeah those are cool i don't know how many much we want to spoil those because those are some, some big cool things but the um well let's spoil one at least for bennies um you can spend a benny to change your action card now that's so, after all so the cards are dealt, huge players can spend a benny and, and get a new action card which is pretty cool and it's pretty cool for lots of reasons not just because you got a low card but with some edges now you actually will want a low card like calculating so that's kind of cool. I right. love that. I love playing the tactician in the group and, mm-hmm. you know, switching out cards. And that's just, that is fun. That is so, um, again, pe- buy-in. People now, now you can't even just watch the deal of the cards. you got to watch when someone might want to spend a Benny to, you know, to get a new card and maybe move up on, on the, the initiative. So I love that right. change. So how, what would you say to somebody, because this question that's popped into my mind that, that somebody might say, what would you say to somebody that says that that's going to slow things down because people are going to have to take time? Oh, do I want a new card? Don't I want a new card? That type of thing. What have you guys done to kind of mitigate that and still have that flow? Uh, I'm going to answer with we haven't. Sometimes it does slow things down a little bit, but it also makes it more fun. Sure. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, people just don't do it every round because you just don't have that many bennies to throw away. Right. But when it's critical, when it's important, that's when they say, wait a minute, and they stop and they think for a second, and they, they may or may not chuck that penny. But they, I just haven't seen it in practice happen every single round because it's just not that important most of the time. And that's exactly and, what I've and seen. I have to say, too, I deal my bad guys face down. So, you know, if you're doing it face up, it's probably even faster because if the guy's got a slower card than you, then you don't care anyway, right? In my game, since I deal the bad guys face down, they do have to think about it a bit more and decide if they're going to do it. Oh, devilish, devilish. Yeah, I mean, makes makes good sense, though. The, yeah. I'm really excited for social conflict because that's kind of a major part of the one of the systems we're currently working on putting out, the marginalia setting. But um, I do want to hear what, what your thoughts are on quick encounters because I think that's going to be um, – is that, is that related to what Tracy Sizemore was working up? And Sure is, yeah. So, you know, we had quick combat, and here's – I think I said I had a, a good example. I don't know if it's a great story. I'll tell you the first story, which I think is pretty good, and then the newer one. So a few years ago, I went to Italy to play uh, to run games with uh, Jolly Troll, which is our Italian translator for Savage Worlds. And I wrote a new adventure on the way uh, on a flight over called The Devil Pigs of Cochise County. 
which is loosely based on one of the uh, encounters in Grim Prairie Tales. So I took that, I added some cool lately stuff, and it's become an adventure I really enjoy running. And um, it takes, you know, it's about a three-hour adventure. Typically, for a four-hour slot, I shoot for about three hours. That way people can take their time. Or if we end early, that's fine, whatever. I got to Italy, and I was running the game, and they're looking at me. You know, the players are having a good time, but uh, Joe, uh, who runs Jolly Troll, is looking at me kind of nervously, and I can tell something's wrong, and he stops me. You know, I wave him over, and he comes over, and he says, are you going to finish soon? I'm like, uh, well, you know, I've only been going for about an hour, so you know, still got still got some quite a bit of time left. <laughs> he says, "Well, our slots here are only half an hour." <laughs> yeah, Gilbert told us about wow. this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you know, they play their they do really more demos right in front of their booth rather than sessions like we do. So I was trying to figure out, oh my god, how am I going to do this? Because the first part of the adventure is these devil pigs kind of herd you to. Uh, the the climax of the adventure. And that means a couple of combats that aren't really important as combats. They're just meant to keep you on the trail. So what I had everybody do was just roll whatever skill was most um, uh, exemplary of whatever they were going to do when the pigs attack. It really, they're javelinas or javaranas in the, in the game. And uh, then we'd kind of do a narrative description, move on, then we got to the big finale, right? So that stock, we wrote up quick encounters, made that happen our quick combat. And then Tracy came up, Tracy Sizemore came up with quick encounters. So we could take the concept of, you know, the fight and really do a whole lot more with it. So I had this happen. I ran um, the Lankmar adventure, a night of blood and teeth for some friends of mine where my parents live in Myrtle beach, South Carolina, a few months ago. And there is a scene uh, in that adventure. Let's see, I won't spoil too much, but there's a scene in that adventure where you need to break into a temple and steal something. Okay. Now it's all there detailed. So you can, you know, you can run through the whole thing tactically and run it like a typical kind of dungeon crawl, but we didn't have a lot of time. It's probably a two session adventure. And we only had one night. So they gave me their plan. We broke it up into a couple of stages and they would make their roles and we'd adjust based on that. And then we'd go to the next stage and we were able to resolve the whole temple thing with a lot of fun narrative play and some die rolls to throw some kinks in the works in about, you know, five or 10 minutes. So that was a huge win and really cool. And we were able to get on to the, you know, the big finale and play the whole thing. Whereas if we didn't have that, we would have really had to just stop there and hope that, you know, next year when I visit my parents, we could finish. <laughs> right. right. And that's pretty cool. Yeah, I love how it works out. And it, it, again, it's, it's very modular now where you can choose. There's so many, mm-hmm. um, the chapter's no longer called the GM toolkit, but um, I, I love the word toolkit because it, it just strikes me as here's a here's a dozen different tools that run, you know, combats and scenarios and heists and chases different ways. Pick which mm-hmm. one works for your time allotted and, and, and what your group likes. And... Right. You know, there's not just one way to do anything anymore. Um, there's so many options. And um, so I think it's a lot of fun as a GM even, just being able to plot like, oh, do I want to run this as, you know, more talky or more rolly? Or, uh-huh. And uh, I think that really works for that. So, And I think one of the things that excites me the most about this whole edition is, you know, I enjoy a lot of the narrative games like Fiasco and that, that whole style. Um, I often want a little more structure, and I, I don't really – like, you know, I like a good Ellery Queen. I get the Christie Mist. A lot of the narrative games, the players kind of make it up as they go. And that, that's fun, but it's not, you know, it's not our style of gaming. But what I really like about the way uh, the, we've, we've made this edition work 
we've got our crunchy mechanics and swingy dice rolls and manage to incorporate those with some narrative gameplay like this where the dice are going to kind of give you jumping off points or point you in a direction, and then you can narrate a bit. And, you know, the combats are still the big crunchy combats when you want them, right? But like that heist or a quick encounter or whatever can be really interactive and fun, and you can kind of move on to whatever, you know, the big high points are, especially those with limited time. And that's where you're, you're absolutely right. The whole toolkit idea is, I think it's just, uh, I think it's just perfect for this because it really lets the GM pick and choose what she wants to do for that, right? And that's that's cool. Yeah, you mentioned before that you're going to release these in the uh, the new graphic novel format. Uh, quick question though, mm-hmm. what do you like about that size and format? I guess I like the approachability of it. So there are some games that come in these 400 page, eight and a half by eleven hardbacks, and while they're great for what they do, let's say Pathfinder for example, right? If you're going to play Pathfinder, you buy this 400 and some page rule book because you are only going to play Pathfinder for years and years and years. That's fine. That's great. With our game, you know, we we all like exploring all of these different genres, everything from East Texas University to Deadlands to Buccaneer, right? And if the book looks like a 400 page textbook and that, that just mm-hmm. doesn't feel very accessible if you're going to switch settings and some new rules and so forth each time, does it? Yeah, that's true. No one wants yep, to go back so, to school. <laughs> no, I mean even right, look at so even look at Starfinder. Nice little thin book, and you feel like you're ready to go. Yeah, I mean even look at Starfinder, and that's I mean that's a whole huge core book, and, and you guys are going to be able to do that with, with you know with just the companions. So, got a, I'm going to tie two things together. A couple questions that that I had. Um, there's a couple things that are gone, and there's a couple of things that are are even we haven't touched on that are new. So you guys did away with experience points and charisma. Can you talk a little bit about the choice for that? Sure. So experience points is is another reflection of we recognize that um, people who play Savage Worlds often play many of our settings, and that's great. We like that. That's what we do too. So XP A it was something you had to track. B, it could be kind of slow. So what we've just said now is if you're running a short campaign, advance them every session. If you're running a longer campaign, advance them every other session. You know, you, you can choose as a GM whichever one you want to do, but you don't really need to track XP and say, you know, this guy's got three and, oh, man, I just need two more. Just decide whether you're going to give them an advance or not. Yeah, and that's yeah, that's kind of and that's kind of what I started doing at one point is mm-hmm. I just was going every other session, just taking advance every other session because there there is so much out there and so many different things people want to play that you know, I was never, I was never getting people past, you know, the second rank. You know, we were getting, we we're getting novice, and and we'd get into the end of season, and then we'd move right. on to something else. So this gives you a chance to kind of get up to those higher ranks and kind of see the game played at some of those higher ranks, and maybe I'll, maybe I'll get a group to legendary at some point. Right, and and that's just that's what we see, you know, when we read the forums and visit and that kind of stuff. People just say, "Well, I just I don't do XP, I just advance them," and it made sense to us. And we we've been playing that way, and nobody misses XP. As for charisma, there are two huge reasons that it was time for it to go. The first one was there are a lot of things in real life that wind up being edges in our game that increase or decrease charisma, fame, status, looks. Uh, you know, nice set of clothes, whatever. And it became, it became far too ubiquitous and overused to just, you know, here's a cool edge and you get plus one charisma, plus two charisma, whatever. 
And then, you know, what does it do for you? Well, it makes certain skills super easy to use if you've got a high charisma and just about impossible if you've got a low charisma. That, that wasn't really fun, didn't really do anything good for the game. More importantly, however, now with support roles especially, um, you know, you can use um, persuasion to help somebody recover from being shaken. You know, cowboy up, Chris, you got you to gotta get up there and fight that guy, right? That's a persuasion role. And, yeah, a, getting that from an attractive person is going to be more useful to most people than an unattractive person. You know, that's just kind of human nature, so that's still there. But rather than have charisma now, attractive adds plus one to persuasion roles, very attractive adds plus two. But that's about the only edge anymore that does it. Other edges do different things. For example, charismatic lets you re-roll uh, a first failed attempt, kind of like spending a Benny. All the other things that used to give charisma or negative charisma either directly affect certain skills rather than kind of a, a blanket carte blanche, or they have different effects like that. But it was critical with tests and support that we get rid of it regardless, and we wanted to. Yeah, and one of the, one of the, new, the new items that I love – and that that it's the, the couple people who have seen it again, I keep going back to this for the play test. So a couple people who have seen it, the core skills, I think that was just a brilliant idea. Yeah, evidently we're getting beat up on a forum somewhere because people think that we did it entirely because of one bad con experience at Genghis Khan. <laughs> <laughs> We've ruined Savage Worlds. <laughs> yeah. right. I, I, um, I just I like it because you example I gave. And in fact, I think it was Andrea Arnold who had that experience, um, I think she wanted to, I think it was her, she wanted to sneak up on somebody and didn't have stealth because that's just not how the character was built. And it just seemed silly she couldn't do it. And then even like Ron Ringenbach, another guy uh, who uh, runs games at your show, and I noticed playing in his excellent games that he would often just give people a role at, at their attribute rather than an actual default role for those very common skills. And you know he's a guy who sticks pretty close to the rules generally, right? Yeah. So uh, you know those those were experiences that stuck in my mind. But we've had the same thing here, you know, in our games and, and games where I travel, where and it just it seemed odd that an adult human couldn't persuade somebody or sneak up on somebody or whatever. Yeah, well, and, and, uh, I know so, we've 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 argued like a dozen times on this podcast, like probably every other episode. If you're a GM and you ask your players to roll notice twelve times a night, if you're making pre-gen characters, put notice on the character sheet <laughs> because right. you know having people roll d four minus two and just be oblivious the entire night usually just takes people out of the of the action versus bringing them yeah. into it. And I, I think notice is supposed to bring people into the action versus keep them out. I and mean, that's kind of the intent of it. Exactly. Right. And this is just another thing that reduces friction points, right? And everything we can do that reduces friction points and doesn't hurt the game in some other way is we're going to do. You know, like people have a hard time with shaking still, right? But that's a friction point that's worth keeping. You know, it works well, and I don't want to change it. We've, we've looked at a billion different damage system through, systems through the years to get rid of shaken and the wounded status. But really just nothing works as well because with, with mooks especially, you know, two shakens takes them out, right? So we've put um, in this edition, not only have we tried to clarify it better, but we've actually put in a table that shows you exactly what the status is, um, you know, for, for people taking damage. And yeah. Hopefully that will help. Very well done people. table as well. Good. And I think it makes, it makes it, 
to me, it cleans it up. It really clears it up. Yeah, as a play tester on this, like there's a couple times where I emailed Shane saying, okay, I know it's perfectly clear to me, just in case add two more words, just because, you know, there's always going to be someone who's like, but what about this? Or what about this scenario? What about this scenario? And it's like, okay, just list the three common scenarios and just. If I had written Shaken Better from the beginning, people wouldn't have so much trouble for it. So, you know, the blame is, is firmly on me, but it is, it is a little tough because people try to make it tougher than it is. Like, you know, they'll think, okay, well, I'm, I'm already wounded and shaken, and I get wounded, and that comes with the shaken. So is that four wounds? No. <laughs> no, it's just, just two wounds and you stay shaken, right? It's it's a little abstract, but it's it's just simpler than most people make it out to be. But, again, it's it works really well once you get it. So I just can't find anything better to do than, than what we have. So we're keeping it. Yeah, I like how that table is going to save Clint a decade worth of answering emails on the forum. Just refer <laughs> well, to page 172. Because I like to keep him working. <laughs> and I know people are going to have a question about this because, you know, that, that I've heard lots of questions and heard lots of talk about this. But tell us, I mean, what you can share about uh, the new chase rules. You know, what, what's, what have you done? Why, what makes them better than the last set of chase rules? Right. So um, one of the things we're going to do for those uh, listening is, and don't hold me to this because plans may change, but I, I've written a short little adventure that we plan to give away in the middle of the Kickstarter that lets you use the chase rules. And it comes with the chase rules, the new ones. And it's called Return to Sleepy Hollow. Nice. So, uh, Excellent. Yeah. Hopefully that will explain everything. But I'll, I'll give folks a little bit. Um, why I hesitate at all is not because I have any uh, doubt about the system, but what I've learned over the last few days, especially in posting bits and pieces of rules, is that if people can't see everything in context, you know, they'll spend an awful lot of energy attacking something that you know may not be an actual issue. No, no, people don't do that on the internet. <laughs> oh, it's just good that we have NDAs because I've had to keep my mouth shut on just about all of those threads. I'm like, no, you people are wrong. I'm not going to say anything. Yeah, yeah, I haven't answered well, any of those either. You know, it's still great feedback, though, and I still like seeing what people Oh, sure. Say. Even if I don't agree, it's just, you know, it's good to know, okay, well, that's how they're taking this, so I need to clarify it better. And like you said, Chris, you know, you've, you've given me quite a few pieces of advice throughout the manuscript where something could be more clear for somebody who's not played before. And that's great. You know, that's a good thing. So the new chase rules are, um, gosh, I'm really afraid that if I say this verbally. Yeah, no, if, if, you, if you'd rather not say it and wait for that to, to come out, we completely understand. We can move on, move on to a different question. Let me, let me tell you what the goals were and, and, and that's let me good. try it from that angle. Yeah. So the goals were to make something that, if a chase broke out in the middle of your game, Chris or Chris, at Genghis Khan or uh, Tacticon, that you wouldn't sigh and go, uh, sure, uh, you know what, we'll just wing it, just make a roll, and uh, let's not worry about it. You know, that means that the chase rules aren't very good, right? That means they're too complicated and they're going to be a pain in the ass, and that's not what we wanted. So one of the goals was to make sure that they were something you could break out quickly and easily and you wouldn't wouldn't have to be this big setup or transition. I think we I think we've done that. Another goal was um, my my experience with uh, chase rules is uh, uh, quite a few car chases, but a lot of big starship battles. And one of the things that the uh, especially from working on the sci-fi companion where we did a ton of playtesting. And one of the things that the chase the current chase rules didn't do very well there is. If you had a much longer range weapon than your opponent, for example, 
And it's true of car chases, too. You know, a guy with an assault rifle in a helicopter doesn't have much advantage over a guy with a pistol because it's just advantage or disadvantage, and that's kind of silly. So we were able to work um, the old range increments back into it, which had been too complicated in the, the earliest edition of those chase rules, but I think work really easily now with uh, this version. So they're, they're smooth and easy. They take into account um, different weapon ranges and abilities and so forth because if, you, if you're playing a sci-fi campaign and you've put money into getting these cool new weapons for your ship, you know, it sucks if you just use the chase rules and those, those things never matter. So those are the goals I was out to get, and then add a little fun and unpredictability with complications and so forth, which you know pretty much been there in every uh, version of them. So I think those goals have been met. Playtesters seem to think so. What do you two think? I like how you could just open up to those pages and run it. I mean, it's very convenient. It's like you know, you just open the book to those pages. The tables are all pretty clear. Yeah, you know, Fox definitely run more of it. Yeah, I, I would say the first iteration that I ran it was was a while while back, not the newest. Um, mm-hmm. We had a lot of questions um, yep. that that I had written down and a lot of things. the The newest iteration I ran about two weeks ago, and it went smoothly. I had I had one question, and as we were sitting around the table, we reread them, and the answer was right there, yeah, and it went really well you know it, it, it was a play test so we were kind of bouncing back and forth and and kind of i fudged a few right you know i flipped a few dice to go oh look this happened so that it would go a couple extra rounds because we could have ended mm-hmm. it pretty quickly so you know but for a play test it worked out really well we i i let it go for about four or five rounds just to so we all had a good feeling and Everybody around the table said that they really liked it. They thought it was intuitive, uh, that it didn't take away from anything. It, it ran. It, it did the three Fs. Yeah, one of the yeah. things that Fox and Brett really struggled over, and it was, I think one of the main reasons to buy Buccaneer was designing – uh, how do we do boarding actions? How do we do ship-to-ship combat and work mm-hmm. in things like boarding? And because I don't think the original Savage Worlds you know, was granular enough to, to fit that kind of uh, what we right. wanted to do there. And then looking at these new rules, like, God damn it, Shane just did it better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So now the new rules. So, well, But see, I got to learn from you guys because when I was fortunate enough to play in your Buccaneer Hell or High Water game at, was it Genghis that I was at last? Yeah, Genghis. Yeah, yeah. yeah at Genghis. Um, you know, I watched you take the the chase rules from Swex, try to make them better, and try to shoehorn them into the pirate battle and realize how far short some of the stuff I'd done had fallen. You made it better, and I got to think about that a whole lot and think, okay, so how can how can I make sure that guys like Chris and Chris and, and anybody making pirate games won't have these same struggles? So I got to, to learn firsthand you know, from you guys, it's been quite a while since I ran 50 Fathoms and the chase rules were different then. So that was super helpful, and that stayed with me when I did these various iterations. And like you said, uh, Chris, the uh, you know, the first iteration in this edition, the, in the one with positions, was it was pointing in the right direction, but it was still too, uh, too complicated. And, you know, as we resolved everything else, especially, again, tests and support were just such a crucial pivot point for all this stuff. It really clicked uh, in this newest iteration, and I'm, I'm really happy with it. Yeah, this is one thing that I think is um, 
I don't know, maybe to the listeners out there, you know, obviously you know, our goal has been to get people to help them get published and stuff. And I think that for us, I mean, Fox and I both really appreciate being on the playtesting squad for this is that uh, it's amazing seeing other people at work and how much, I mean, the book looked gorgeous months ago when we got the first copy. And I was like, oh, yeah, this thing's almost ready to go. And then just seeing how much more tinkering and refining and then just the, kind of the balls to throw out some whole sections and say, okay, now no, we're going to do, do it differently. Um, oh, that just seems so hard to do as a creator when you have, oh, yeah, it's almost, it's, it's 90%. And you're like, no, nah, we want 99.99%. We don't want 90%. Um, That's right, because the, the last 10% is, is 90%. Yeah, it's amazing <laughs> seeing that. And um, you know, mm-hmm. it's so... Um, yeah, when you're so close to thinking you're done with the book, I mean, the same thing we you know, on our Kickstarter. We, oh, yeah, we're so close to being done. We're just a little, just a little here and there, and then oh no, 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 and just seeing that with a whole system and a whole, you know, the expectations for you know for an entire edition is are so much higher than just a setting book. So um, right. I, know, I know the pressure is there, but uh, that I mean, it's been a masterclass just learning uh, vicariously, just seeing how a little change here means that three different edges have to be redone, and then if those edges are being redone, well, you know, and just kind of watching the kind of cascading effects so that's been that's been fascinating i want to ask something with the with the new you you know the new edition coming out is this gonna uh lead to uh new companions and reworkings of the current companions yep we will absolutely have to rework the companions some of them are small changes like the superpowers companion there's not a whole lot that gets affected by the changes in um in the adventurer's edition but there's just a few things like illusion that just needs some some fixes, and uh, I think that printing is about sold out anyway. So we'll take the opportunity to change it. Uh, the horror companion is pretty solid, but we want to integrate the rituals from ETU into it. For example, those are way fun, and then just general cleanup and stuff. And you know we'll have to adjust any edges that affected charisma and, and so on. Um, I think the one that's going to get the biggest amount of change will be the fantasy companion. I have actually just never been happy with that book. I think it needs a lot of work. So that one's going to get a, a pretty big facelift. And then you've let it leak to the playtesters. And I think it might have been hinted around the forums, but you want to hint uh, it, there's a new companion in the works? Yeah, martial arts. I've, I've talked about yeah, it. I, was so just saying, yes. I saw it out there. Okay. Uh, that's fantastic. Yeah, when the, I... the cover's done. The core system is done. It's still going to be quite a ways off, though, because there's a, a ton of work that has to go into refining all the, the stuff that, that does it. But what I'm really happy about, and it it, um, it will do some of what we're doing with this edition of Savage Worlds, where it's going to marry tactical and crunchy with fun and narrative. And uh, there's a there's a cheese system in there that should let you do. I don't want to give, give too much away just now, not because I like holding secrets, but because things change. But it should let you do all the tactical, crunchy stuff you want in a normal combat. And it also should let you choose at certain points to turn things into a quick encounter or a quick combat. Oh, by nice. the way you spend your chi. Oh, oh that's cool. Well, you know, you, you know you've got two people here who are uh, more than happy to help you out and play test it. And, oh, and, you'll get the call. And, love, and help I, you guys out because I, I think that would be just awesome. I love that. Cutscene. <laughs> uh, well think about like kill bill right when she goes and fights the crazy 88s so some of that you want with the with all the tactical maneuvers and everything else and some of it you really just kind of want to narrate the big cool fight and some of the highlights and i think what's what's you know jotted down in note form at this point is going to do that oh, so that hopefully is so it cool. would stand up to play testing 
The uh, so you've you've hinted that you have a cover, and we mm-hmm. haven't even seen it, but. The, a little information leaked in this very last update that there's now actually two artists' names associated with the cover. And so we Googled them, and their art's amazing, but very different. One is really bold, black and white, pen, comic book, fantasticness, real dynamic. And the other one is very, um, a lot of color, painterly style, oil painting, a lot of portraiture. And so those two have come together for the cover. Anything else you want to? So you've seen all of our other companion covers. It is in that style. And to tell you the truth, we have two covers that we're trying to decide between. Oh, nice. One is a really exciting piece of art that everybody loves. The other is also gorgeous and a little more representative of, of all the things you can do with Savage Worlds. So we are internally arguing as to which goes on the book and which goes on the something else that's coming. Nice. Okay. Love it. Love it. See, I was trying to. So, so in uh, Shane uh, will in the future because we we were going to reorganize this this interview. Hinted at a great little piece of art at the end of the book, and at the end of the book, there's actually a cover of the book in the end of the book, and it's small and subtle. I'm like, I wonder if this will tip us off what's going to be on the actual cover, Um, but it's kind of a little bit too small. Um, But no, I I love that answer, and we're we're excited. I think both, you know, not not seeing the pieces ourselves, but those two artists are pretty cool um, and unique in their own way. So. I'm excited yeah. to see what happens whenever you guys do do finally decide. I think you'll like them. They're both great, and you'll see them both in in one form or another. So I, I like I like Chris came up with most of these, so I really liked this one. Um, so you know, uh, get back in your way back machine. Think about when you when you first started in the hobby industry, and 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 looking at today, uh, you know, what's it feel like putting out a new release at this point in time, and and Talk about a little bit. What do you think of the state of the industry and the state of the hobby is right now? So here's my optimistic answer. The optimistic answer is the hobby is the biggest it's ever been. Uh, There are more venues for people with great ideas to get their stuff in front of other people, especially with Kickstarter and Indiegogo and licensing programs like ours. You know, that lets guys like you – you know, not that you couldn't have done it on your own, but it's definitely easier to get started this way and make your own thing. The barrier to entry is low, but the competition is high. So, you know, the pressure is on you to succeed and compete, and I love that. I think competition is a wonderful thing. And, uh, you know, that's what we're doing here. We're trying to compete with all the, the other companies that are making games, and that's exactly what you guys are doing, and you excelled at it. And, you know, it. it it sticks and it shows and the ones that don't do as well or don't put as much love or care into their book or thought or play testing or whatever, you know, typically don't, don't do as well. And I think, you know, competition is a good thing. So that's, that's the, the positive side of things. Who are red and Gabe and what role do they play in the new edition? So I'm glad you asked. So red and Gabe, the simple answer is that uh, red and Gabe are our example characters throughout the book. And they are they uh, they are characters that these two people play in every genre that they play, and they take on different identities. So sometimes Red might be a superhero or a sorcerer, or a martial artist, or whatever. Same thing with Gabe. And uh, the very last page of the edition that made me cry. That made me cry last exactly night when I saw that. Well, uh, so. Uh, it, that 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 painting is uh, going to go undergo a little bit of work because I'm glad you got it. it means the world to me. 
but some people who have looked at it right here on my computer did not get it. So we're going to tweak it just a little bit more to make sure it's a little more clear, but I, I, and it means a lot to me. And let me tell you why without giving everything away for people, you know, um, we're a, a guy like me is just a game designer. You know, I just, I make games for a living and, and don't, don't pretend to be doing the world a, a great service or anything, but without trying to elevate our, all of our game as game designers positions too heavily, when you go to a, a convention, especially, or, or you see a game group and you see a bunch of people sitting together, having fun and, you know, forgetting about the bills and, politics and all that stuff and just having, you know, losing themselves in a setting in a world and dice rolls and adventures and, you know, beer and bad foods, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, that's, that's something that you helped accommodate and that's good. And for people who have really bad, uh, you know, terminal illnesses or uh, really bad home life or all kinds of, you know, bad situations that people find themselves in the escape that these games can provide and especially when your game is designed to help them uh, express their own creativity, that's something I feel pretty good about. And that's kind of what that picture is about. Yeah, um, just to clue people in, the uh, throughout the book, there are some really great art pieces, and you kind of get to see... Red and Gabe going through the different, you know, the different Earths and different characters, and um, I really like that as, as a as a design choice, even without that kind of gut punch at the end, um, just because it, it, it kind of they're they're your ambassadors to the game. You know, you can mm -hmm. there's little uh, pull quotes you pull from Red and Gabe when they they talk about options in combat, and um, mm -hmm. so you know they, I think those are great little places to look for new players. Um, oh, you just follow Red and Gabe, and then the, the choice of of those characters consistently showing up in the art, and I mean it's kind of funny. You, they, they develop personalities. Like you can totally tell that Gabe is the gun bunny. You know, he almost always has <laughs> right. the, the biggest gun on the battlefield. Um, uh, and Red, there's just some fantastic pieces with Red. I mean, I, I know there's one where she's um, on a. Uh, it's very. Um, Akira, where she's on a, a futuristic motorbike using like a, oh, yeah, a, a yeah. katana to help her turn a fast corner. And uh -huh. then a couple pages later. All oh, right, it's, it's a gorgeous piece of art. And then a couple pages later, she's like in the savannah controlling a lion. I mean, it's just uh -huh. like, you know, you want to be red. Red has fantastic adventures in this. And um, yeah, that, that last piece kind of just recontextualizes the entirety of the book. And I, I don't know. I mean, to me, that's like a, it's, it's a meta story in, in the rules that um, – and I think we'll pull this out to be the end question because I think it's, you know, uh, you did that in the book. But the um, – I don't know. It's just, it, it, I agree with what you said. It, it makes it – can, it can recontextualizes what we're doing here as not just a hobby, but it's about imagination – you know, physical health through mental health, community. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's more at stake than just a couple hours and some dice. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a big C community thing. Uh, it is. This is a lifestyle for most of us, right? I mean, gamers, it really does mean something. You know, we, we game. We game all the time. You know, it's not like you're just a stamp collector or something, you know. I'm probably going to get emails from stamp collectors now. <laughs> yeah, you've done it now. <laughs> no, you'll, you know, get, you'll get posted mail. For years. <laughs> Pardon? You'll get posted mail with stamps on it, actually, oh God, handwritten letters. Right. Right. Well, hopefully it's something rare and valuable. Um, <laughs> what I've told people for years is the moment you act like a, a goblin in front of somebody, you know, you've broken a lot of barriers. 
<laughs> Last question. No, you got you're on a time crunch because you're getting ready to go uh, have a great trip here coming up. Um, is there a setting game property that you would like to create that you would like to acquire that you haven't? Uh, nothing I want to acquire. We're uh, we're going to focus on getting our Deadlands stuff moving again because you know we knew all this other stuff was coming and we had to kind of put it on hold because you know we are a small small company. People think we're much bigger than we are, which is flattering, but we're not. But there are four settings that I've been sitting on for uh, various years, some as long as ten years, that I still want to get to, and one of them might come out during the Kickstarter. We'll oh, see damn. What happens. Uh, not as a, a whole book or anything, but um, we, we have this, this concept of, well, let's save it for the Kickstarter. But you might see some surprises there. And Excellent. yes, there are four big properties that I, I still are, four big settings that I want to create that are sitting in my skull and must come out at some point. Excellent. All right. Well, hey, thank you so much for taking the time. It's uh, really, we really appreciate it. So, any, any, any last things, anything we didn't talk about that you that you think you want to touch on real fast before we, before we let you go? No, I just want to say uh, for those who don't know how much you two and the Denver gamers, uh, especially Rocky Mountain Savages, have done for me personally and for Pinnacle. I mean, besides putting on and encouraging so many games at the shows, besides the. Uh, playtesting that you do and the commenting and feedback and the proselytizing and all that wonderful stuff you do for the company. You two have also just been great personal friends and I just can't tell you enough how much I appreciate it. Well, thank you. We appreciate it. Well, the, the fans and don't know is we have blackmail photos. Right. We, we put we, that, we, we throw that right back at that, you right? <laughs> and we'll, we'll throw that. We'll, we'll throw that. We appreciate it, Shane. So thanks for giving us the scoop. I think we dropped a couple more little tidbits in there than we had planned on, so that's good. Okay. We'll all right. Hear from you guys. We all appreciate right. everything we'll you do for us, Shane. Cheers, amigo. All right. Have a good one. Ditto. Bye, guys. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you've liked this episode, you can find us online at savagecast.com where you can leave a comment. We're also on Facebook and G+. Please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And if you need to email us, we're at uproar at savagecast.com. Remember, the Savage Worlds Adventure Edition Kickstarter starts on October 16th, so save your pennies and jump on board with that. And with that, may your dice always explode.